All right, that said, let's turn in our Bible, shall we, to Psalm chapter 51. If you need a copy of God's Word, just get the attention of one of the ushers, and they'll get one into your hands. Psalm 51, I'll meet you there after a little bit. In case you're unaware, this is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, a nationally designated remembrance, announced first by Ronald Reagan back in 1984, and then reiterated at least by every Republican president since. Sanctity of Human Life Day. Marking, of course, that infamous Supreme Court decision in 1973 legalizing abortion. And I want to talk about it because the battle still rages and the travesty remains. It does. Most of you, I imagine, firmly believe that abortion is wrong. But others of you, I'm certain in a room of this size, think it's just fine. And statistics and surveys nationwide would bear that out as well. I don't think that we're an exception to that. Some of you are active in your opposition to abortion. Others of you, quite frankly, don't care. Or you do care, but you're just complacent. I've certainly been there. And some of you have had an abortion. Or maybe you're even considering an abortion. And if you're in that last group, if you're pregnant and you're considering an abortion, can I just plead with you from the start to press pause and consider what I'm going to be saying? Please, please consider these things. We love you. We care about you, and we want to help you, and we will. We will. That means we won't condemn you for being pregnant. Being pregnant is not a sin. Even if the circumstances that led to it were sinful, we're not going to condemn you for being pregnant. There's forgiveness and grace. There's compassion, and there's mercy. We will come alongside of you. We will meet with you. We will connect you with others who have walked that very same road. We'll even help you financially if needed. We will. And our help in all of those respects won't stop at the birth of your baby. We will walk with you for as long as you want us to walk with you. Lord willing, being in fellowship with us as a church as we all walk together with the Lord Jesus Christ will help you. Please hear me on that. Please consider that if you're considering an abortion. On the other hand, for those of you who have had an abortion, this message is not intended to hurt you or condemn you at all. I'm well aware of the guilt and the shame and the Remorse that you already carry and feel as a result of the abortion that you had. Whether recently or a long time ago, well aware. My desire is to alleviate that pain. My desire is to eliminate your shame. Through the forgiveness that's found and the healing that's found in Jesus Christ. 
and the gracious acceptance that's found in our church. My goal is to alleviate and eliminate your pain and shame. There's forgiveness. There's acceptance. And if you haven't experienced that, will you please get in touch with us? You can call the church office. You can email us. You can talk to one of the women who will be down front after the service. You can catch them later on. Whatever it is, we're here to help you and love you, not hurt you and condemn you. That in mind, difficult as it is, I want to start with the issue itself. Abortion is a terrible blight on our land. A terrible blight on our land. Because no matter how you look at it, it ends a human life to the tune of about 2,500 a day these days. And that doesn't include the number of abortions via the morning after pill. Nobody knows. Just via traditional means, some 60 million babies have been legally killed in our country through an abortion. Legally. And so I want to give you four truths about this blight in hopes of awakening you to these issues or reawakening you to these issues. Here's the first. It's wrong, abortion is wrong because life and personhood begin at conception. Life and personhood begin at conception. 30 years ago, I might have said, life begins at conception and leave the point at that, period. Because at that time, the abortion debate was centered on when life began. But that's no longer the case. With the advent of new technology to actually see inside the womb and lay your eyes on that pre-born, unborn baby, hardly anybody argues that it's just a blob of tissue anymore. The widespread consensus from doctors and scientists and ethicists and, and anyone else who has an ounce of honesty about them is that life begins at conception. That's when a new human being with brand new, previously unexisting DNA is formed. Different than anybody else's on the face of the earth or in the history of civilization. That's when, at conception, sperm egg. It's no longer debated. That's when a human being comes into existence, starts. It's no longer debated, at least by those who are rational. What is debated, not necessarily legitimately so, but what is debated is personhood. Personhood. Okay, abortion advocates say, maybe human life does begin at conception, but personhood doesn't. That pint-sized cluster of cells doesn't possess the qualities that, that we do, that you and I possess. And so though it might be a human being, it's not a person. But what they raise in saying so is a false dichotomy because there's no difference between a human being and a person. A person and a human being. A human being is a person and a person is a human being. It's a false dichotomy. The only time that's disputed is when a husband is in the doghouse. <laughs> Couldn't help myself. 
It's a false dichotomy. And not only that, but personhood doesn't depend on size or ability or the possession of, of certain qualities. If that were the case, I'd be more of a person than most of you because I'm taller than you in height. And Albert Einstein would be more than a person than all of us put together because of his intellect. Just because a little unborn baby doesn't have the intellectual capability that you and I sit here and have doesn't mean that they are any less of a human being. Think about the analogies that if that were true, that would mean that babies, as soon as they're born, are less of a human being than you and I are. That would mean that people with lower IQs would be less of a human being than those with higher IQs. Those with less athleticism would be less, and so on and so forth. And nobody argues those sorts of things because it's, frankly, ridiculous. I don't know how else to say that. But more important than the ethical reasoning or the scientific support is the biblical record. And the Bible indicates that personhood also begins at conception. Look at Psalm 51, verse 5. Just verse 5. King David is writing, he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother, here it is, conceive me. Me, he says. In other words, not only did David consider himself a sinful person from the time of his birth, saying, I was brought forth in iniquity, but he was a sinful person from conception. In sin did my mother conceive me. Referring not to his mother's sin, but his sin. She conceived me with a sin nature. That's the idea there. She conceived me with a sin nature. Which we know from Romans chapter 5, we receive via Adam and Eve's sin upon being brought into existence. And the pronoun me here in Psalm 51 implies that David was a person at the time that he was conceived. The same person he was when he wrote it years later. It's me, David, was then, am now. In sin did my mother conceive me. Me. And so David was a person at conception. And being made in the same likeness, so are we. All of which means that abortion is wrong in God's eyes. Because life and personhood begin at conception. That's the first truth that I want to commend to you on this issue. Here's the second. It's unthinkable because the unborn are precious to God. Abortion is unthinkable. It's not only wrong, but unthinkable because the unborn are precious to God. The unborn are preborn, referring to babies who are not yet born. They're precious. Just like it says in Psalm 72, 13 and 14, he has, he, God has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life and precious, precious is their blood in his sight. In other words, precious is their life, certainly including weak and needy babies who suffer the oppression and violence of an abortion. 
God saves them. He redeems their life, it says. Do not miss that. It's one of the most significant truths, one of the most comforting truths if you've had an abortion in this entire issue of abortion. He redeems their life. They're safe in the arms of Jesus. Beyond that, abortion is unthinkable. Because they're precious to God. For at least seven reasons. At least seven. Here's the first. They're his handiwork. The unborn are precious to God because they are the work of his hands. Turn with me if you haven't already to Psalm 139 verses 13 to 16. Psalm 139. We looked at a few of these verses last week in the message. I want to point out a few more things this week. Quite the pillar passage in our Bibles. Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16. King David is also writing here and starts with the word for in verse 13. Do you see it there? He starts with the word for because what he's about to say is support for what he's just said. That is that God is omniscient and omnipresent. That is God knows everything. He's omniscient and he is everywhere present. For, supporting that, you, David says to God, for you, God, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Talk about the Redeemer's touch. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. A metaphor for the womb. Obviously not hidden because God was doing the forming and still does. Your eyes saw my unformed Substance. And so from the moment of creation, the baby in your womb is the work of God's hands, his handiwork. You formed my inward parts, verse 13. You knitted me together, which makes every single baby precious to him. Every single one now or in the past, precious to God. Just like a masterpiece is precious to an artist. You ever see an artist or hear about an artist saying like, yeah, I don't really care about that thing that I painted and spent all my hours and so on in. It's like that with God. Those he forms are precious to him. Just like a heartfelt song is precious to the composer. Or an impressive building is precious to the architect. The, the unborn are precious to God because they're his personal handiwork. Personal. Every single one of us has been touched by the Redeemer. Second, second reason that the unborn are precious to God, he accounts for their life long before they ever exist. He accounts for their life long before they ever exist. Verse 16, in your book, look at it there, in your book were written, Every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was 
none of them. God considers the unborn so precious that he accounts for every single day of their lives before the first one ever dawns on them at birth. Third, they're made in his image. The Bible says that God made man or mankind in his own image, which among other things means they've been endowed with a spiritual nature, they've been given the capacity for emotions, and they have the ability to think. Something that he says about no other animal or aspect of his entire creation, which means that we are unique. That when God forms us in the womb, we are his unique handiwork and therefore precious, no matter how small. Fourth, the unborn are precious to God because he demands punishment for their harm. He demands punishment for their harm. Exodus 21, 23 makes it clear that God considers the death or harm of an unborn baby the same way he does the death or harm of anyone else because he demands the same punishment for both. They're precious. Fifth, he refers to them the same way he does newborns. The unborn are precious to God because he refers to them the same way he does newborns. In the New Testament, Luke, a doctor under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, uses the same word to refer to the unborn John the Baptist, the newborn Jesus, and the infants who were brought to him later on in life. He calls them all babies. Hello, babies. When he could have used different words in the Greek language to distinguish between them. He could have done so. But once again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he didn't because in God's mind's eye, he considers them all the same, born or unborn. They're babies. Their size doesn't have anything to do with it. Their development doesn't have anything to do with it. Just like their size and development doesn't have anything to do with them being a person after they're born. Sixth, the unborn are precious to God because he tells us to stick up for them. He tells us to stick up for them. Psalm 82, verses 3 and 4. Give justice, he says, to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Listen, loved ones, God wouldn't so explicitly tell us to do that unless the weak, fatherless, afflicted, and destitute were precious to him. Certainly including babies at risk of abortion. They of all people need to be rescued and stood up for. Of all people. And then seventh, last, the the unborn are precious to God because he hates the shedding of innocent blood. He hates the shedding of innocent blood. Proverbs 6, 17, God hates hands that shed innocent blood. May he have mercy on abortion providers. And he says in Deuteronomy 27, 25, cursed be anyone who takes a bribe to shed innocent blood, gets paid to do abortions, among other ways 
to apply that verse. Seven reasons that the unborn are precious to God and therefore should be precious to us. Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world. Red, brown, yellow, black, and white. Born and unborn. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves, loves the little children of the world. That's the second truth I want to commend to you. Here's the third. It's necessary to educate yourself and act. If we're ever, and I'll be honest with you, I can't see the end of abortion in our land. I can't see it. But if we're ever going to see it, we have to educate ourselves and we have to act. We have to educate ourselves and act. Ignoring the issue and hoping it goes away is not the answer. Nor is it okay to think that it's someone else's responsibility. You know, the professionals, those who run pro-life ministries. And I will also admit that I've had that thought before. I will also admit that that tends to sometimes be my default. Well, let the people who are about it day in and day out, let them take care of it. I have other things to do. It takes a church. It takes a community. It takes everyone doing something. Not everyone doing everything. Hear me on that. I'm not advocating that every single one of us do everything that there can possibly be done to eradicate this blight from our land and bring it to an end. That would be impossible. Nor are we all wired the same way. But we are wired to do something and every one of us needs to do so. And it starts with educating yourself. Getting informed. Turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 1. And just after the Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, a couple little books, and then Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. I want you to see this in your own Bible as well. God is speaking here through the prophet Isaiah and he says to the entire nation of Israel at that time, and don't miss that, he's talking to the entire nation. That doesn't mean or imply that every single last person in the nation of Israel at that time were in the full sin of what he's talking about. Doesn't. We know, and we know that because God was always preserving a remnant of people who feared him and followed him. And yet, God still addresses all of them this way. Frightening. And if it weren't for Jesus Christ as our intercessor, it would be downright devastating for us. Verse 15. When you spread out your hands to worship, that's what he's saying. When you spread out your hands to worship, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. 
learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. If that doesn't apply to us and abortion as a nation, I don't know what does. And the phrase that I want to focus on is learn to do good. You see it there at the start of verse 17? Learn to do good. Learn. Learn. As in educate yourself. Figure out how to seek justice that God commands. Uh, figure out what's required to co correct the oppression of abortion in our land. To help with that, I've given you six websites on your handout. I trust that you got one as you walked in to the worship center. If you didn't, you can get one when you walk out or you can get more if you would like. Abort73.com is the first one there on the list. It's my go-to source for sure because it's comprehensive. It's straightforward, very straightforward and clear. Some would say, oh, it's, it's a little too straightforward. It's a little over the top, Pastor. We have shielded ourselves from the horrors of this blight long enough. Long enough. It's time we open our eyes literally to it. Abort73.com, lifeissues.org is another one. It's the website of Life Issues Institute that's uh, one of the um, uh, organizations under the umbrella of the Susan B. Anthony list, a, a politically active organization. ADF Legal is the website of Alliance Defending Freedom, covering everything from uh, um, church issues to abortion issues and, and pretty much anything else you can uh, imagine, uh, for freedom of speech and so on. And their page on this particular issue, uh, I think, is, is worthy of note. And then there's the NRLC, the website of the National Right to Life Committee, uh, covering everything from public policy to public opinion. ProLifeTraining.com is a website, an organization founded by a guy named Scott Klusendorf to help people think rightly about abortion and respond to it publicly, speak to it publicly and, and, and with good reason and good logic and so on. And Scott Klusendorf himself is, is a master in that respect, would heartily commend anything that he has written or, or said. And then there's EqualRightsInstitute.com that focuses on relational apologetics in a personal way where you're sitting across the coffee table from someone or the wherever. I'm not suggesting that you know these things like the back of your hand, these websites. I'm suggesting that maybe you would spend 15 minutes a week on one of them, just 15 a week, to get a handle on the issues and thereby learn to do good. Learn. We often just don't know. And unfortunately, we're comfortably numb in our ignorance that way. Learn to do good and then act. If we're going to correct the oppression and remove the evil, like it says in Isaiah, it's necessary to act. It's necessary to actually do something. Like, for instance, advocate. Advocate. Speak up. Open your mouth for the mute, for, for the rights of all who are destitute. Proverbs 31.8. Whether it's personal conversations with people at work or public conversations in politics or editorials to newspapers or, or social media, we must advocate for life proactively. Not just reactively, but proactively. And not in some like negative sense, but in a very positive sense. We must advocate for these things. 
There's enough of the blah, blah negative out there in social media on any front for sure. And especially on this one, which means that those of us who have the truth and who know the truth and are convinced and convicted by the truth need to advocate and respond. There's a proactive uh, thing to do in this day and age, and there's a reactive thing, and that's, that's respond, especially to the pro-abortion mantras that continue to be thrown around, even though they've been rebutted many times over. you like, you've probably heard this. It's my body, so it's my choice. No, it's not. You may carry that baby in your body, but that baby is not your body. And it's no more your choice to end its life inside your womb than outside. Or how about every baby you wanted baby? You've heard that one. Every baby you wanted baby. Sounds good. Until you start taking the lives of those that you don't want. And then there's I'm not pro-abortion, I'm pro-choice. I have a really hard time with that one. I'm not pro-abortion, I'm just pro-choice. Just. That's like saying I'm personally against child abuse, but if you want to do it, go ahead. I don't beat my wife, but if it works for you, it's okay. It's your choice. Some of these arguments, some of these mantras are literally that ridiculous. And they beg for a response, a loving response, a winsome response, but a response. When Becky and I were carting our girls back and forth to volleyball practice, we would carpool with other parents. And, and I'll never forget one time in particular. The girls were in the back seat. Becky and I were in the front. And I wasn't prepared to respond. Somehow the issue of abortion came up. And one of the girls, a 16-year-old girl in the back seat, just made this comment. Well, I think it's a pretty complicated issue. And I, and I felt in my heart like, no, no, it's not a complicated issue. It's either life or death. It's one or the other. And I so desperately wanted to say something, but I didn't because I'd never heard that before. I hadn't learned to do good in that respect, and I didn't respond. And I wish to this day I still would have done so, even though I hadn't heard that before, that I would have at least said something lame. Something like, I, I don't think so. I think it's a very simple issue. I may not be able to defend that very well right now. I may not be able to explain that very well right now. But I want you to know that it's not complicated. I knew that in that moment, and there was something. Maybe she had had an abortion. Maybe someone close to her had had an abortion. Maybe she was just a, a pro-abortion advocate. I don't know what it was. But I knew that there was some rationalizing going on because what was going on in her life. And I utterly failed in that moment. We need to respond. Even poorly if your heart's right. If it's from a motive of love, respond. And then there's volunteer. Pro-life, moving quickly here. Pro-life pregnancy centers always need good people. Faithful, available, submissive, definitely not Lone Ranger kind of people. 
teachable people. Always that way. You might even volunteer and march for the March for Life that just happened this past weekend in Washington, D.C. Or maybe you should intervene. Maybe you should act in that way. Like joining a sidewalk ministry that tries to discourage women from entering an abortion clinic. Maybe that's what God has wired you for. Like it says in Proverbs 24, 11, rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. Intervene. And certainly we should give our money and our stuff. And, and every one of us should pray. Pray. Loved ones, we must pray for the unborn. If you want a, a passion for this whole issue, pray for this issue. We pray for what we're passionate about and we're passionate about what we pray for. We ought to be praying for expectant mothers. Those who are wrestling, and should I keep my baby, should I not? We need to be praying for pro-life ministries. We need to be praying for changed laws. Talk about not being able to see the end from the beginning in that one. We need to be praying for our lawmakers. Those who are pro-life, that they would stand strong and continue to advocate. And, and those who are pro-abortion, that God would somehow change their heart and soul and mind. And of all things, we need to be praying for God's mercy. Heaven knows we need it with blood on our hands as a culture. And if it weren't for Jesus, as I mentioned before, where would we be? And then last in this list of actions is welcome. Welcome. Your action, God's desire for your life, may be to open up your home and, and, and welcome little ones into your home from foster care or adoption. The ultimate welcome. That may be your course. Everybody can't do everything, but everyone should do something. So by all means, by any means, educate yourself and then act. It's necessary. Otherwise, we will never bring this issue to justice. We'll never do what's right in our culture. And then last, the final truth about abortion that I want you to know and take to heart is that it's possible to be forgiven and healed. It's possible to be forgiven and healed. Abortion is wrong, yes, and a terribly destructive way to hide sin, terribly destructive way to avoid consequences or skirt responsibility or escape shame. But it's not unforgivable. It's not. It's not beyond the healing touch, once again, of the Redeemer. It's not beyond the cleansing flow of Jesus. It's not an exception to his amazing grace or an exemption from his gracious love. If you confess the sin of your abortion to God, if you admit it, and you repent, asking him to forgive you, he will. He will. He'll no longer hold it against you or, catch this, even remember it. He'll no longer hold it against you. That's what forgiveness means. Nor will he remember it. 
It just so happens that my memory verse this week in the Fighter Verses app is Isaiah 43:25. I, I am he, God says, who blots out your transgressions, no longer holds them against you, for my own sake, God says. That is, to magnify my grace and glorify my name in forgiving you of any and all sins, abortion included. I do it for my own sake. I am he who blots out your transgressions and I will not remember your sins. I will not remember your sins. If you confess, he'll forgive. If you soften, He'll restore. The Bible says a bruised reed he will not break. If you ask, he'll redeem. So in the words of the Apostle Peter, repent, therefore, and turn back. As in, admit your abortion and renounce it. Don't let the hardness of your heart deceive you any longer. Repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come, times of healing, times of rest, times of peace for all time from the presence of the Lord. It's possible to be forgiven and healed. If you call your abortion what it is and ask God to forgive you, guarantee he'll come to you as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth, even in the winter of your soul. He will. And so will we as his church. We're here to help. We're here to love. And we're here to encourage and build up with grace upon grace. The very same grace that's been extended to us from the cross. We're here to help and we're here to love. And if you're considering an abortion, the same is also true. Forgiveness is real. And forgiveness is possible along with healing. Let's pray. Lord, God, for those who are crushed by guilt, even now as we pray, would you be their peace, their shalom, their comfort. God, for those who are devastated, oh, would you be their rock, their strong tower, their mighty fortress. For those who are broken, God, would you be their healer, the balm of Gilead. Would you be their healer? And Father, I pray that you would forgive us all for our complacency. Awaken us to act. And somehow, God, some way, 
remove this blight from our land. Using us in whatever way and measure you want to do so. Somehow, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.